Welcome to Every Horror Movie on Netflix, the show where we watch, review, and talk about every horror movie on Netflix. Back again this week, it's me, Chris, and I'm here with Patrick. Hi, Chris. And Steven. Hello. And back again, our very special guest from long ago, our guest from yesteryear, Allison, with an I... It me. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's that girl, Allison. <laughs> oh shit! It's that girl. <laughs> Long time listeners might remember her. You you were with us for Boys in the Trees. Mm-hmm. What else did you watch with us? Oh, I don't remember. Why would I know that? Cabin uh, Fever. Yeah. Oh there yeah, Cabin Fever. Is it Cabin Fever. Yeah. yeah. Fucks. I'm sorry. The one, one of the couple that you did. Right. The first right, one. Right. And I didn't do Cabin Fever too. Still haven't seen it. Don't plan on it. Yeah. It was some heads up. Did you listen to our it. episode though? Because Chris and I did a fucking banger on. I it. did not. Um, Oh, if wow. I do say so. Disappointing. <laughs> well, today we're talking about, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. We watched Corbin Nash this for this week, a great Netflix action horror thriller. Maybe not so great. I mean, yeah, let's just be real up front. It's not so great. And that's why we're changing the format of the fucking show today. <laughs> sure. We're, we're changing the format of the show a little bit. We're going to talk about Corbin Nash, but there is literally really nothing to spoil about Corbin Nash because of the way that movie is structured. And because it spoils can you really everything call it in the structure? first 10 fucking minutes. Yeah. It starts in media res and there's one, you know where it's going from the beginning and there's no twist. There's no anything. So, we're still going to go to the spoiler room, but we're going to have some fun. We're going to talk about some of the other things that have been going on in the horror world uh, this month. You know, we're, we're halfway to Halloween, and we got uh, Twilight Zone reboot coming out that we've been watching. We have uh, we saw Us. We might talk about that. And we all, just as a family, went to see the new Pet Cemetery, and we're all looking forward. We are chomping at the bit to talk about Pet Cemetery. <laughs> I can feel it. trip. We walked out of the theater and we said nothing. We said, we're going to talk about it on the show. So look forward to that after we get through our obligatory discussion of the Netflix film. It's not <laughs> Corbin Nash. Not Aww. a Netflix film, but a film that is on Netflix. A film that I wonder if it was released in any other format. <laughs> it was released VOD. Oh, really? Yeah. So somebody, like theoretically, some people paid money just to see this film. Yes, theoretically. And my heart goes out to them. I mean, it's like Terrifier. I have so many thoughts about this film. You guys are being really hard on this film. I feel like I want to hear what you have to say, and then I'll, I'll I say my thing. I want to hear what you have to say. You know, I like. I think I'm on this quest lately with films where I'm trying to like find the good in all of them. That's good. I have Especially a- on this episode, because I think Stephen and, I, Stephen and I, at least, are out for blood. Oh, I can tell. I could yeah. smell it when I walked in the room. <laughs> But I have a so friend. I have a friend who's a, a horror movie aficionado like the rest of us, but he's kind of my godfather horror movie aficionado. And the thing I love the most about him is no matter how shitty a movie, he would always say, I thought it was great. I thought it was great. And I'd be like, are you fucking kidding me? It was garbage. But I always admired that about him. And so I've kind of like without even trying sort of adopted that mentality because i'm i don't know why you know i have never made a movie so fuck no this they guy would is say better you could make a better movie than this though with no, no. skills Allison, i'm gonna make you a horror movie you can't refuse <laughs> you come in here and you say you didn't like the babadook <laughs> 
doing like Godfather Italian voice. Because we're 30 year old men. <laughs> okay. So, you know, I'm trying to be positive, guys. That's Kill good. me. That's for good. It. No, but no, no. I, I didn't hate it. And so um, I'm glad to bring that perspective to this episode. I'm glad you're here. I didn't like it, but there are plenty of things I think I thought it did well. I'm willing to give let's credit where it. it's due. <laughs> well, let, let's set up the premise a little bit. Wait, can we start with the title? Oh, yeah, this is one of my pet peeves, as you well know. Oh, yes. mine too. Why, like, why name a title after a fictional character we've never heard of before? Yes, and I this is a question that. I pose to all of you, and actually probably no one's inclined to answer this in a positive way. Is there any movie that's just named after a fictional character that's no, that no one has ever heard of before that is good? Patch Adams. <laughs> wow. Yes. Well, we Forrest just, Gump. Happy Gilmore. <laughs> okay, Forrest Gump. I thought of this one. Forrest, Forrest Gump, Gump is a terrible film. I hate Forrest Gump. Don't oh like my that God. film. <laughs> you guys are the worst. Forrest Gump is not a good film. We could get into that another time. Forrest Gump, though, I would say works as a title because it's such an odd name and it kind of fits into the premise that he's like this sort of mystery ghost character and all these historical yeah. events. It kind of plays into the premise of the film. Like, oh yeah, you're supposed to know who Forrest Gump is because he's been at all these historical events. Well, I got one That one I will cut some slack. Benjamin Button. Corbin Nash? Well, well Benjamin Button gives Corbin you something. Nash, I swear to God, when I read this title, I was sure it was a gay porn star. I looked it up. <laughs> looked it up. It's Corbin Blue. Who are you thinking um, of? <laughs> Corbin Blue. Yeah, I have not been able to get this name straight all week. I've been like Corwin Nash, Corbin Blue, Corbin. Uh, what about Roger um, Corman? Patrick, what about Michael Clayton? Oh, good point. I, I love the film Michael Clayton, but, but that's a terrible title. title. It's a no, terrible, I, it's a terrible title. I don't like the film. <laughs> I don't like the title. Who knows who Michael Clayton is? Why do you want to go see that movie? And really, there, there's so many movies and series that are just named after a bro, and yeah. we're supposed to go see it because it's named after a bro. Ray Donovan. Ray Donovan. I'm still mad. Um, John Carter bombed at the box office. And John Carter, like the actual name of the story was like John Carter and the Princess of Mars. Like, right. call it that. And John I'm, Carter I'm of Mars. Yeah. yeah. John Carter of Mars. Well, Do that. And, and that one made the misstep of assuming that modern day audiences would give a fuck about a property that had its peak in the, what, 40s? 50s? Maybe, even, maybe even earlier than that. But, yeah. you know. What about Carrie? <laughs> Ooh, that's a good point. I'm, I think your theory I, has. You know what? I'm more interested in, in seeing. I mean, yeah, the name no, of I, was, I was. I was trying to get examples of ones that do work, and trying to figure out why the ones that do work work. Probably because Carrie is actually a great movie, and people went to see it because they heard it was good from their friends. And over time, we've realized, oh yeah, Carrie's a great movie. Aaron Brockovich. But I don't. Oh, <laughs> yes. But she was a real person. Yeah. Yeah. So she's not a fictional character. W. <laughs> I think this horse is dead. What about what excuse me? Yeah, that's W to you. W. <laughs> that's W to ya. So we have a simple premise in Corbin Nash. A it's about a guy called Cor- Corbin Nash. It's about a guy named Corbin Nash who's a cop, played by Ugh. Dean S. Jagger, just the embodiment of toxic masculinity. <laughs> yes. My the, the the phrase that ran through my head, my little Rotten Tomatoes poll quote as I watched this movie was a fever dream of toxic masculinity. Yeah, you can smell the axe body spray. He has his spray. last name <laughs> tattooed on his chest in like yes. the Johnny Cash font. Yeah. And Na- then Shooter. Shooter on his other Yeah, oh, oh, Shooter. God, Did you he? like that, Chris? Yeah. Well, I wish I was watching Shooter. 
Um, and he's a cop. He's a New York cop who uh, is approached in a bar by someone who's like, hey, man, your parents were like demon hunters and you should go to L.A. and avenge their deaths at the hand of demons. So he does it. And uh, that's basically the premise. Well, you're getting you're ahead of over yourself. The- you're getting, o- yeah, you're glossing <laughs> over the fact that it begins with the ending. It begins with like oh, a 10 minute interminable indecipherable mm-hmm. monologue by malcolm mcdowell slumming it as always playing he's <laughs> he's doing exactly the same thing that what's this is Cagliostro does in spawn yes the whole movie. slumming it as he's done since a clockwork orange <laughs> well he was an if i don't know if that was before after a clockwork orange but like name me the, those are two great malcolm mcdowell movies name me a third can you do it halloween uh, he, Zombie. he was he was himself in the player but i don't think that counts but yeah, we meet this guy and he's like at, at death's door. He's been thrown onto the streets and his Nash tattoo just exposed for all to see on his bloody naked chest. Right. And then the whole movie is we cut between him being nursed back to health by a stripper and the th- events of the film that happened like six months earlier, which is when he's doing the like, I don't know. Oh, there are multiple timelines. There's a There's six a months earlier, earlier timeline and I, a one year earlier timeline. And I like I literally ran the film back because it goes to I think six months earlier first, and then a year. What earlier. you literally have this on no, was it eight millimeter or sixteen millimeter? <laughs> you were in your you yes, were in I an ran editing the film bay. You ran it on back. The projector. Yeah. He was like yeah. Ethan I think Hawking, it went one year and uh, then six months. Sinister. No, I hit the little left stick on my PS4 <laughs> controller <laughs> and went back to like remind myself of the time element, and it still didn't make fucking sense. I didn't even try to make sense of it this movie just it was so glacial in its pacing the soundtrack just kind of like lulled me into unconsciousness <laughs> right. like it, it was like it was like a it's it was like the soundtrack for a like a goth meditation app <laughs> through okay. the entire thing there's not a moment of silence in this goddamn thing. equal time doctrine allison or chris say something positive about this movie well now. Would, okay. would you like an explanation yes chris go ahead yeah here yeah, this explains a lot i need an explanation i saw the fucking movie and i need I did a little bit of research for a change, and I discovered <laughs> that Corbin Nash was envisioned by this guy, Jagger, Dean Jagger, Dean Jagger and his brother, who is the director. Yes. It was envisioned as a probably kick-ass movie where Corbin Nash is a cop in L.A. who's hunting demons. But they didn't have the budget to do the action sequences that that concept required, so they decided to make another movie. This movie we have is a prequel to the first script that they wrote. Oh, my oh, God. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so Lord. they basically came up with this character who didn't really have an origin story and doing probably some cooler shit, killing demons in L.A., mm. and then they couldn't get that money, so they're like, well, we could make whatever happened before this. Makes so much sense. Yeah, so that's what we're left with. So apparently his origin is he begins as an MMA fighter. Yes. Okay. Not even. I don't even know. He. He. I was curious to hear your thoughts on that. There seems to be some MMA DNA flowing through this movie. Uh, yeah, you think the director of this movie is Ben Jagger? There is someone who is like a four fight MMA record named Ben Jagger, and I'm wondering if it's the same guy. And I don't yeah. know. Well, in any it case, it would make a lot of sense. In any case, he does not have those moves like Jagger. <laughs> wow. But. Another thing I want to address about this movie real quick is fucking in-media res openings. I'm sick of them. Everyone fucking does them, and I'm sick of them. Everyone just I don't know what defaults. that means. So in-media res means that you start at some... In the middle of the action. Okay. Yeah, and actually, maybe that's not the term I'm looking for. But... No, that's not what you're looking for. 
every film now opens with the ending, essentially. As, uh, as Pet, Pet Cemetery, Cemetery did which tonight. we just right. saw. Cool. Yeah, got it. Like yeah. every uh, movie does that, and I, I don't know who started it. Probably Tarantino, mm. but everybody just thinks it's a like cool Aristotle thing. To do. <laughs> <laughs> no. What, what year no. was this? I mean, if there's a Latin term for it, it probably no, goes this back is, centuries. I'm sure this goes back to like Greek tragedy. In or media something. res, no, yeah. that is a very recent trend. What year was this every, film made, guys? Every was film it, does it that was now. 2018. 2018. Yeah. Okay. Look it up, Chris. It felt like it was made in. Sunset Boulevard. 2000, like, uh-huh. Yeah, you're right. 2005. It just felt Why? like it was, because I think because it was such a low-budget film, and they weren't doing what they were setting out to do, mm. and it felt to me like it wasn't made in 2017. You know, there weren't any, like, modern nods. It was ambiguous to me. I had no idea what. I, was I, like, I, I had no think idea that's when. to its credit because they tried to take like a graphic novel approach yeah, okay. to how it was shot and everything, and it works kind of. It does kind of. I had that wait, thought while watching it. Explain that. What do you mean a graphic novel approach to how it's shot? Like they wanted it, like they, Sin they City kind of kind of thing. They kind of conceived of it and tried to shoot it in a method in a way that's reminiscent of a graphic novel, like that kind of hero character and stuff it's like very that, splashy might, looking you know. it's got some kind of comic book sort of shots in yeah, it but they're poorly poorly so, done yeah i don't but, know what that means well I'm, like a like sh- city a graphic novel can mean all kinds of different things but yeah. i just to allison's point i think that the relative timelessness of the setting and the the stylization of things i actually wrote down in my notes which i don't have with me and i don't really care anymore um <laughs> <laughs> not anything all that interesting there but i wrote like my third note was like is this based on a graphic novel i've never heard of yeah totally it did feel sort of like an like a white blade almost yeah. you know like this is like a like a dark superhero anti-hero origin story just as a fan of comics and graphic novels i'm just feeling a lot of denigration of graphic novels right <laughs> no. now i want to know what y'all are getting it's at. like if i wrote I, a graphic I'm say, I'm, novel I'm talking Patrick, about, and then made a movie out of it don't I'm feel about to be way better oh Allison. that's so nice can Thank we follow you. up on i'm talking about intent here like i'm obviously i love graphic novels intent oh i'm yeah. not i'm not speaking for the quality of the film saying like wow this could be a great graphic novel <laughs> no yeah i agree I, I felt i got a lot of graphic novel vibes too it, it reminded me of really bad graphic novel adaptations yeah and seemed like it, it was of a piece with that sort of endeavor. yes that okay. is a good there we go I've uh, nailed that it. is a good analogy it feels like a <laughs> shitty graphic novel adaptation of a probably better film okay. like, I didn't a, like mean an to denigrate... paul ws anderson movie yeah, i didn't yeah. mean to denigrate graphic novels that was what i meant i'm sorry i didn't communicate it would you like to hear about in media res sure. um the term was coined in 13 bc by oh, horace he describes the ideal epic poet by saying he doesn't begin the trojan war from the egg but he always hurries to the action and snatches the listener into the middle of things so mm-hmm. you start in the middle and then you it's like six months earlier because yeah, yeah. you were right it is a little it goes obnoxious. way back i think there's a place for it but not in this i movie. mean the term goes way back but it's become very popular in films and very common and over, over, overused yeah i agree in probably the last 20 years or so i would say yeah I, I just feel like I see that constantly in films as a way to increase 
tension or suspense, but it just doesn't hold any work. unique value anymore. Yeah, with it, like with like yeah, something like it, it like in, like inspired by true events. You know, like we see a moment that we kind of recognize, and it's like, whoa, let's back up. How do we get here? Like, you know? stra- yeah. like, like hopes strangers? is like, oh, this is about something you're familiar with. Now let's we'll tell you sort of like the the behind the scenes story you didn't know. Or it just needs to hook you, especially with yeah. these independent films where they shoot it and they like send it to a distributor and he's going to watch it for 10 minutes before he makes a decision on it. You want to start with something that's more interesting than, you know, yeah, Corbin I, Nash walking the beat in, in, in New York. If you want to hook me, don't start with a 10 minute monologue over B-roll footage of Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, right. Touché. Do you guys remember my story about Strangers where I got the knock on the door and I was like, yes. my yeah. infant yes. was one month old. Oh, yeah. So Strangers is a quintessential example of in media res but I feel like that worked really Does well. Does it start in the yeah. Rez? Yeah, totally. Does it? Yeah, the kids, think, the kids, so. the Jehovah's Witness kids or whatever are, they go up to the door to. Oh, it's the, and it's the same house. It's yeah, not like, oh, and yeah, they cool. they discover the murder scene and then oh. they call it into the police. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. But sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But I feel like coming from a person who has a writing background, I f- I think like it's really hard to come up with a beginning for so- stories sometimes. So if sure. it's a, if it's a cop out or like something that you're leaning on for lack of a better beginning, it it's kind of obvious to movie watchers who have any like wits about them, like us, you know, who are kind of looking for techniques. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Is it just feels like a cop out a lot of the time yeah. for a writer who doesn't have an interesting way to grab you from the be- yeah. from the beginning, or more importantly, usually doesn't have interesting characters. Well, to, why, to why not begin in. in the middle of the action and just continue sequentially from there? Like I'm working on, uh, I mean, I always have a couple of screenplays I'm working on at any given moment, and I just think like. Oh, why do That's I keep writing myself into a point. corner? Like, wh- like, why not just cut out like all the bullshit where I'm introducing the character and just start with the most interesting thing that happens? Yeah, if you're going to start with you know a shocking or or inciting incident and then back up to you know twenty or thirty minutes of bland ass character introduction, it's which similar. I'm not talking about your characters in particular, but characters in like this type of movie. Yeah, sure. Why not just proceed from the fucking moment where Corbin Nash is fucking dumped on the doorstep? Right. I mean, action is character, right? So, like, if we character is action, whatever the common phrases like if we just see these people behaving from an intense situation onward like we'll learn about them as we go along it's a lot more fun than watching them make breakfast or at least yeah. you could use this guy recovering in the stripper's bedroom to frame the story more efficiently or more effectively than it does like you could have the stripper say well what's your deal how'd you get all fucked up and instead of just screaming like he yeah. does for 90 percent of this movie i was gonna say there's like 70 percent of this movie is just him in agony in the bed moaning and crying and screaming we cut back to that almost every 15 minutes yeah, well, i don't know was, about 70 percent of the movie but 70 percent of the movie is him just screaming for one reason or another yeah, yeah true. true it's this is definitely the guy who like his character is the guy who just solves all his problems by screaming and punching <laughs> holes in your mom's drywall and and you know it's not <laughs> impossible to start your movie with an interesting inciting instant i'm just thinking about because we're going to talk about this later two of the best horror scripts that have been written in the past couple of years Get Out and Us, which both start with really shocking incidents, but it still takes place chronologically. It doesn't do the in-media res thing, and then it introduces you to some characters that you build up a relationship with. Like, you can still start with a shocking moment without flashing forward to this moment that everybody's going to be, like, sort of waiting for, sort of dreading, sort of like, well, we already know we're getting there, so get us to that moment this, for the whole that's movie. That's the problem. So this this movie, the story, is oh, so yes. Let's simple. Let's talk about Corbin Nash. <laughs> Let's talk about Corbin Nash. 
this is the story. There's a cop in, in New York. He learns just by some guy talking to him at a bar that his parents were demon hunters. Rutger Hauer. Yeah, Rutger Hauer. Strange cameo. Um, Not really, because Rutger Hauer is in all kinds of bullshit, which is really sad, because I love him, but... Yeah. Anyway, he learns his parents were demon hunters. His parents were killed by demons, and he decides he needs to go from being a New York cop to an L.A. cop, and he investigates people who are disappearing. They're being taken by, like, vampire demons, and he gets captured by the vampire demons. He gets bitten by a vampire, left for dead, nursed back to health, and then he kills the demon, a couple of the, the underlings of the demon lords. That's the story. Very simple. Very simple. <laughs> but it's presented in this crazy thing where we start with him getting dumped on the street half dead. Then we go back a, a year. Then we come back to present day. Then we go back six months. Then we come back to present day. As if the script is preparing to deliver us some really shocking moment at some point, which right. it never does. Never no. does. I mean, could... I, I was going to ask, could editing save this movie? And I think the answer to all of us, except possibly Allison, is no. Less editing. Could, could, ed, could editing, could better editing, better sort of sequencing, have made this movie watchable for you? No, because there's no story. Okay, good. I mean, that's the answer <laughs> I was hoping for. But I, I read a lot of like user reviews in IMDb that were complaining about sort of the sequencing of this film. And I was like, I don't think you have a solid argument there. There's really nothing happening in this movie. This is an origin story for another movie that we're probably never going to see. There's, there's When did this come out? 2017? 2018. 2018? Oh, well could be in the works could be in the works I, I, you if know? it gets that amon bump they might be able to secure the funding <laughs> for a sequel. it might get that bump this but is yeah. the last thing that they need that's why we're not going to the spoiler room because we know at some point he's going to recover and kick some demon ass from the very first scene of the movie and that happens in the last 10 minutes of the movie and then the movie's over but i like that like that's one of the things i liked about this film was that he instead of becoming this primitive animalistic like bloodthirsty monster he turns on them and i feel like that again guys this is me like looking for the good in it so it wasn't outwardly just like a great film i will say that but if i had to like find some merit or or good things about it i would say i thought that was pretty cool you know that he sort of was different in that way it's a little something out of the ordinary so that's all i have to say for now keep going (laughs) (laughs) no that's fine but you you knew he was gonna do that kind of but i was happy that he did that when he got when he got like bit by the vampire or whatever did you think oh shit now he's gonna be an evil vampire well to be honest, I'm glad you asked me that because there was part of me that was waiting for this film to be unexpected, to be a little bit better than I saw that the, you know, 5.5 out of 10 <laughs> reviews were when I initially queued it up. Yeah. Um, I was sort of waiting for that moment of like, oh, they want us to think that he's going to turn on the vampires, but what if he doesn't, you know, or like, what if there's some hitch or glitch or whatever? Um, but it, it was predictable. Uh, but I don't know. I, I don't know what I liked about it. I just didn't dislike it. Can we talk about Corey Feldman? Oh, of course. Have we, have we have to. I thought he was fucking brilliant. <laughs> I actually, <laughs> I really I was, liked him. I was, I, I'm in it. So, <laughs> someone describe, someone describe Corey Feldman to, to our listeners. First of all, I don't think his character had a name. Queenie. Queenie. It oh, definitely Queenie. had a name. How the fuck did I miss that? <laughs> yeah, he, she I took definitely notes had and everything. Yeah. Queenie. Oh, Queenie, Queenie, of course. Corey Feldman is a drag queen vampire, um, possibly one of the most 
transphobic characters ever to grace okay. the silver screen. Not transphobic. Character is not trans. Char- I would say queerphobic. Queerphobic. Okay. 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 Fair enough. I'm not sure, like what what this character is packing, and he must have a dick because he he, he, he definitely fucks. he totally fucks. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he has yeah. a dick for sure. Um, she has a dick. I mean, her her pronouns are not established. Yes. Okay. So- her, let's let's say they. Their pronouns are not established. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's let's not stoop to this movie's level. They will be polite. <laughs> Um, I don't even know if I can accurately describe Corey Feldman's character. Oh, my God. I thought it was so absurd that it was like, this is so terrible that I think it's good. I actually think it's good. (laughs) I think he was, okay. I I feel like, and I know good. Like, I know shit, and I know good, and I feel like he kind of won me over. (laughs) And he won me over, too, and apparently he was in character on set for the entire 15-day duration of this shoot. (laughs) That's adorable. Oh, my God. I mean, it's, it's... it's memorable. Corey Feldman gives a fascinating performance. I can't say I agree with it uh, politically or ethically. <laughs> I feel like he took it really seriously, though. Like, that doesn't surprise me that you say he stayed in character for however, however long, because I, I think that was the overarching theme for me was like, he's really, really leaning into this character. And I respect the fuck out of that. I mean, he's caked yeah. in white makeup. He has these eyebrows, like thick eyebrows, just drawn on on top of a prosthetic brow. I think, yeah, because his brow is definitely more well. pronounced than usual. He has this greasy black hair and this amazingly terrible lipstick that's yeah. just drawn these like Cruella Deville lips. And in his first scene, he's like just terribly applying his lipstick in a close up in the rearview mirror of a car and saying everybody wants to fuck me <laughs> that's a good like impression of his, he's yeah, like buffalo bill, buffalo bill. Yeah, yeah he's doing his totally. best buffalo bill impression totally. so uh, one of the things i also read in this interview with the director is that they wanted this movie to feel kind of like the 80s action slash horror movies that they apparently grew up on and try to have like kind of comic book style horror villains and stuff like that sorry going back to comic books but (laughs) it's a sore spot for patrick you know like this is a character who might be at home really taking a beating tonight this is a character who might be at home in like an early 80s grindhouse sort of movie sure you know i mean buffalo bill is a queer phobic character right Mm. it just have he just happens to be one of the great movies He just happens to be in a great movie, right? Um, the, the thing is, he's he's his his gender flexibility is played for comedy and played for like, oh god, this is gross. Yes, that's the main problem with this. Yeah, yeah, and it, when it's revealed at the end, I mean, because we can spoil anything we want, we've established. Yeah, it's revealed at the end that like his sidekick or whatever was in love with him the entire time. Oh, they have several romantic oh, no, scenes. They're a couple. They're a couple. I know, but there's like this there's this moment where it seems like like Corey Feldman didn't realize that his henchman like actually loved him. Well, because when he's dying, he says I've always Vince. loved you. Vince, like he when yeah. because he says I've always loved you. I don't know. I didn't get that impression. I don't mean okay. to disagree with you because I love you. No, it's okay. Again, <laughs> I love you too. Yeah. I've always loved I've you. I've always loved you, Steven. I mean, to be fair, I didn't pay very close attention to this film after about 45 minutes. But yeah, yeah, I don't remember the moment you guys are describing. <laughs> okay, at good, all. Then I'm fine. <laughs> I'm off the hook. I did make a note that Queenie and Vince's 
like modus operandi is not revealed until the last 17 minutes of the yes! film. Yes! And I don't remember what I meant by that either. I watched this movie like four oh, days ago. Oh, well, I, rem- I remember what you Please meant Please explain that. to me what it's I was like, talking I, about. I wrote down, really? They're going to explain their motives when there's 15 fucking minutes left in the movie? Not that it was anything all that earth-shattering. We could have figured it out. So there were like the elite vampires, yeah. right? There was like the Drake and his his crew oh god Drake. yeah these are like dark lord they powerful people who super, are not yeah. hardly even in the movie they're to be fought in the next movie well right and we just saw them as sort of shadow people with these glowing eyes yeah. and they were there for the like fight club scenes right. or whatever you want to call that but they to me felt like the elite you know like the royalty and then queenie and vince they were part of what they called the meat trade yeah oh, right sick and amazing they were kind of like rough around the edges not gonna fit in with the like royal they're ghetto types. vamps they're ghetto vamps exactly and they Totes were just there cat. for like the entertainment of it the sustenance of it kind of like making a little bit of uh you know they felt a little bit posh they would you know keep a couple around to drain in their goblets and drink their blood and feel really fancy but they were nowhere near the upper echelon of vampires yeah they're they're like low-level pimps but they were like they were doing some dirty work on the streets like they were you know they were like out there getting people and raping women and then killing them or turning them or whatever they were doing um so they were sort of the like riffraff but they were doing some shit this they were cleaning up a bit of the streets. <laughs> this movie's actually a lot like Spawn, you know, in in that Spawn, we go down, we see Satan, like, for a minute, and Spawn's like, I'm gonna kick your ass someday, Satan, and he goes back, you know. Excuse you, Malbolgia. Malbolgia, you know. <laughs> but okay. all but all, the, all Spawn is just Spawn dealing with the, the enforcers from, from hell. Well, okay, can, can, we, can we talk about how this like turns into a fucking like MMA movie for thirty minutes? I feel like we already yeah, did. but it, fucking Corbin Nash is locked up in prison and is just made <laughs> to do like kickboxing fights every so often. And there are these. It's a Jean Claude Van Damme movie for a good stretch. Yeah, <laughs> oh, Jean Claude Van Damme movies are so much better than this. I had a Never mind. glimmer of hope. This movie could have been a lot more entertaining for me if all the like toxic masculinity bro shit had been ironic. Oh, and that would be great. Not at all. That would be it's great. Not. Like, you know, you could do it like a, like, you know, a Kurt Russell character or something. Where like, yeah. He, you know, he's, he's over the top, like, I'm going to yell and punch things, but that's kind of, the filmmakers are in on the joke. The movie's, this movie has no sense of humor whatsoever. No. This movie thinks that this the, guy's really cool. The closest, yeah. the closest thing it has to thinking something is funny is Corey Feldman. True. Which is very unfortunate. Well, listen, (laughs) there was a glimmer of hope for me that happened kind of early on. This is where I started to get the idea. Because Corbin Nash is talking with his LAPD buddy, and they're they're on the street, and they're talking about a guy that yes there's a rapist yes the rapist yeah. guy can someone a, please explain this to me did that any did that ever go anywhere did i miss it no was this it never partner, there's a rapist who walks free Frank he's talking to it's right? set up as a big plot thing and yeah. it, there's like 30 27 people or well there's various people. themes about like sin and how la's full of filth and 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 shitty people mostly poor people and we need to cleanse the streets or whatever and so they're talking about this guy's like he raped a seven-year-old girl got off on a technicality someone should have just shot the bastard right something like that it's like well, it's that's like also referenced shit. in the bar scene that 
precedes it. Like this is set up as though it's a significant plot point. Oh. Well, right, and and then they point out that uh, Corbin, you have two strikes against you. Like, better not make it a third. Remember? And uh-huh. then he meets yeah. with his dad, and he's like, "You should have shot him." Yeah, and it's implied that he's already like kind of. Like, over. let the rapist go. Yeah. Well, well he sort of overextended his authority twice, so he had to let the rapist go because he couldn't, like, oh, do it again. Yes. yes. Well, no sooner does this cop partner say, yeah, we should have shot him. He got, he raped a seven-year-old girl, got off on a technicality, whatever. But, like, two school-age girls wearing backpacks walk that by on the sidewalk. And the cop, and, like, like thigh-high socks, because yeah. all, like, 12-year-olds wear those. Creepy. And, <laughs> and Corbin, like, stares as they go by. The, like, that's a I choice. Don't, I don't know about Corbin, but the, the, partner, the partner cop absolutely leers at them. And I'm like, okay, so here's, here's a little bit. We're showing that this guy's like a tough guy macho let's kill all the rapists but he's actually a hypocrite a little bit wait interestingly Um, i did not get that read from that scene maybe we're trying to get it something like hey these guys are actually pieces of shit that's what i thought and then it never follows through on that yeah no instead it's just like fucking i mean these dudes sat down they're like let's combine the boondock saints (laughs) with mma and vampires and also we'll have a queer in it as the villain because that would be funny you know, it like would be fun. Girls getting tortured funny. with their tits out. Yeah, and that's another bizarre thing. I mean, like, I I don't even. It's it's so ridiculous to even try and plumb the the depths, which there are none. Plumb the shallows of the Corey Feldman character because, like, there's no actual thought given to like what his sexual sexual orientation is. Like, he's a cross dresser, but he fucks girls, but he also has. A boyfriend I mean, because i feel like that sets off the alarm bells for the fucking like straight bros who wrote this movie but they also keep naked girls tied up and like kill them occasionally because i think that titillates the people who wrote the movie it's just this bizarre but it's not titillating to the viewer i don't think if it is you're fucked up like yeah. there's nothing sexy yeah. about this movie but it's also not so grotesque that i was like turned off by yeah no, i think they're there for titillation oh it was definitely grotesque enough for me to be but they also turned it. the last three girls that were sitting at the table they turned them so they didn't use them for food which they had done in the past they turned them into vampires I thought yeah. that was noteworthy. Well, this movie doesn't have anything Those to girls say got about they got sexuality. Yeah, but I feel like it like wasn't the... trying to say anything about sexuality. No. Like I thought it was okay that they didn't define Corey Feldman's character as like one sex, you know, whatever. I I, I felt like the rest of the movie isn't trying to do anything I mean, very deep. So like, why would this is... be any exception to that? Well, yes, the film isn't trying to say anything about sexuality, but it says so much yeah. through what it doesn't say. That's right. It's The politics of this stuff is just completely lost on the filmmakers. If you're going to yes. make a bold choice like that, you need to back it up. Like, you need to have, yeah. like, decent material surrounding it. So that, Because otherwise, it's just incredibly jarring. We're left to wonder what their intentions were, and I'm going to assume they were awful yeah Yeah, i mean maybe if you're in the i mean again maybe if you are trying to make a fucking 80s grindhouse movie you know sure this would have flown in the 80s but like yes at this point we all we all have like a little better understanding of sexuality and like I don't know. That said, I was not offended by this character, and I found him to be the lone bright spot in the movie. That's the bizarre the performance That's was. the irony, because I feel the same way. Yeah. And it's like, I don't condone that this thing is in the movie, this this <laughs> depiction. I mean, I was perversely fascinated. I was perversely fascinated by the performance, for sure. Can Corey you imagine, Feldman is clearly giving it his all. Can you imagine this film without Corey Feldman? No. It would be the most Oh, boring, it would be so much worse. Just vapid film 
It's that bad, was, but it would be worse. It would be so much worse. Yes. All right. Well, I think we got some more interesting stuff to talk about than this movie. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of gassed out on this. What you all say? Yeah. All right. Well, Wait, have, we, have, have we gotten through it? Have we gotten through everything? Oh, one. Here's a Chris line. Corbin Nash, poor man's Christian Bale. Poor man's Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt? Yeah, I can oh. see that. <laughs> yeah, I don't see Chris I, Pratt I don't at know. all. Chris Pratt is like funny. Something else that was interesting, though, is like every line of dialogue in this movie is just completely cliched, and mm-hmm. it kind of entertained me for that purpose. Like, if it seemed like they intentionally committed to everyone just saying the most, like, bro, like, wannabe noir shit ever. Oh, I wish they were intentional. I, I think a, that's just all they could come up with. In the spirit of talking a little bit about us at some point in this show, there was one line that I thought was noteworthy, and I didn't think that we would be talking about us, but I know we've all seen it and loved it. The blind man, so the actor's name was, I didn't. I don't know. Malcolm McDowell. Got it. Tells Corbin, we all have a shadow side. Oh. Verbatim. Oh. And it totally like put my spidey senses up because I was like, interesting trend alert (laughs) jordan peele is a uh corbin nash fan well i mean i don't think it's bad (laughs) yeah yeah you heard it here first and last you'll never hear that again i don't think but uh it's if nothing else it's a popular theme uh, about the duality of people. And I mean, I, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's probably it's a tale the is most timeless. <laughs> it's a tale it's, is it's the time. most timeless theme. That's like why we have the Greek mask there, like right. smiley face, frowny face. Of course. <laughs> yeah. But I just thought it was apropos that the, the verbatim of this was we all have a shadow side. After yeah. us unsettled us so much with that premise, like my ears perked up a little bit when I heard that too. Yeah. Uh, like, he says, we all have a shadow side, a fine line between good and evil. Sometimes you've got to do a little bad for the greater good. But, so, also, that's in the context of like Corbin Nash is a cop, like and, and doing like vigilante and justice. Like, this yeah. city's full of filth, and it's showing like homeless people. And I'm like, I don't know if I want my cops doing a little bad to do a little good, like at the expense of homeless. Super people. Boondock Saints again. Oh yeah, you know this is. Oh yeah, we've we've heard this story before. Yeah. But I, that one line, the first I think. Time. Oh, okay. In credit where it's due. One thing I did like is for some reason Corbin Nash's dad was a like a World Series champion, Major League Baseball yes. player. Yes, yes, he won the it was World Series for the Yankees. Right, and he, it was a cover because he would just travel around with the team and kill the vampires. Apparently, he was so good at baseball that that was just his cover. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's what? amazing. Well, I guess if he's a vampire or, or if he had that blood in That's him, he's true. probably good at superhuman it. strength. But when Corbin Nash finally goes sicko mode and becomes a vampire slayer. He whittles down a baseball bat <laughs> yes. into oh, a steak. God, I'm so yeah. glad you brought this up because this is my last line. Baseball bat, steak, go yes. Yankees. The last line of my notes. Like, that was actually delightful. I like that. Same, dude. I grew up a Yankee fan. And to be honest, while he was like using his... I'm glad he didn't play for the Red Sox. I, also like, went, I went to school in Boston and was also a Red Sox fan, so crucify me if you will. Many people have for being duality of man Ah, it's my shadow side i'm not sure which one's worse when he was whittling down what i later realized was the bad i was like why is he using wood like why doesn't he use like a metal and then i was like oh it's a fucking baseball bat it's symbolic yeah and then he like said like this is for you old man to the picture of his dad in the yankee uniform that he suddenly like had a picture of his i don't know the prequel they should have made instead of this 
unnecessary origin story is the story of Corbin Nash's <laughs> dad being the first vampire slayer in the major leagues. Yeah. <laughs> that I this did see. nothing for me. I am amazed that all three of you loved this so much. This whole well, element did we... nothing for me. Oh, the baseball bat thing. Uh, by the time the baseball the bat Yankees, came out, I wasn't even the paying attention, but I just dad, remember the ridiculous scene where we learned about the baseball player dad, and he gets his dad's ring, his like, yeah. World Series yeah. ring. I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Amazing. And then, like, How the... is it possible that I gave a fuck about something less than Steven did, let alone a sports thing. (laughs) Then the demon lords are like, oh, I know that ring. Yeah, nice (laughs) ring, man. Uh, Great ring with your batting average now, bitch. I'm a big baseball fan, so I I think it was no surprise for me. I didn't surprise myself that I, like, that was the only other thing I loved. Thanks for bringing it up, Chris. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad (laughs) I remember that. Wait, are we talking about the actual ending before the spoiler room? What what else is there? Rutger Hauer or no? Oh, I mean, fucking yeah. Malcolm McDowell. Uh, yeah, you go ahead and talk about that. I mean, it it literally ends with Malcolm McDowell saying, "And so it begins." So, so it begins. begins. <laughs> That's the yeah. end. It's a great. It it's a great origin story. But again, we he like about... explains that Corbin Nash is back and he's gonna fucking wreak havoc on the vampires, and that we've just watched a fucking like hour and forty minute. Yeah. Tied it back into the whole city of angels. Sometimes an angel falls from hell. And oh, right. Yeah, all bad. A lot of angel references. But this is just another example of a movie that's swinging too hard, no pun intended, for that franchise. And really, they should have just diluted their original concept. I don't give a fuck. Have them fight oh, the... Oh, because of baseball. Have them fight the demon master. Like, give me a... Corbin Nash fighting the guy who killed his dad. Drake, it's not like yeah. you right? We get all this yeah. setup about fucking Drake, and then he never shows up. I mean, this we is We didn't even see his face, biggest, really. biggest, like, it's just this drip of pre-com. It's like the fucking <laughs> uh, dark universe. It's like the fucking... Uh, yeah, what what are these else. other like aborted franchises? Yeah, Cirque du Free. Yeah, like like oh, water God down your your it. brainchild. You don't need the billion dollar fight scene at LAX when he's fighting the Demon Lord that you're trying to save for the next movie. Just have him fighting the Demon Lord with a baseball bat in a strip club, and I'll be satisfied. In case there's no next movie, and because maybe, let's be honest. Yeah, and maybe I want to see another movie. I don't know. Anyway, God damn it. God damn it, Allison. Our special guest, would you view it, cue it, or screw it? I've definitely, I thought about this, and I'm going to say cue it. Okay. You know, I didn't love it, but in in the, you know, in light of me trying to find good in these movies, I would say cue it for a rainy day. Okay, I was... For a second, I thought I might find a way to get to cue it personally uh, because it did some things well. I thought it was—I mean, it's technically beyond reproach, pretty much. It looks good. The acting—it looks solid. Yeah. The acting is fine for the way these characters are written, which is to say, there's nothing really, there's no depth to any of it. But you know, this movie seems like it did what it wanted to do. It just like tried to do a really superficial, shitty thing. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I can kind of see enjoying this movie again if it's two in the morning and you've had eight beers yeah. and you're winding down, but you probably just fall asleep. Uh, so I have to say, screw it. Better luck next time. And who wants to watch the next movie without Corey Feldman? Let's be honest. <laughs> They'll have to come find a way to bring him back from the dead. True. Yeah. Right. You know, sometimes dead is better. Sometimes oh. dead is better. <laughs> Full circle, guys. Steven, view it, cue it, or screw it. Screw it. Patrick. Screw it with prejudice. (laughs) 
All right. Well, uh, th- there's nothing to spoil, but we're going to go downstairs anyway, and we're going to talk about some other fun horror stuff that hopefully we liked a little bit more. Uh, so stay tuned. And, and we'll, we'll, we're, we're going to go easy on the spoilers on that stuff, uh, at least for a bit. So it's okay to tune in if you haven't seen Easy it. on spoilers in the spoiler room. How do we explain we're that? Not, no, we're not going easy on spoilers. We're going to spoil everything. We're going to spoil the shit out of Pet Cemetery. Yep. And okay. us and the Twilight Zone. Yep. Okay. Stay tuned. (laughs) (laughs) All right, welcome back. We're down here in the spoiler room, getting ready to spoil some great recent horror releases. To not spoil Corbin Nash, because we already did that shit. We already spoiled the shit out of Corbin Nash. We're just down here chilling. There's a... The little cat in the corner of the basement. A little worried about that. Hey, Churchy. I didn't know there was a cat in the spoiler room, but we got one now. It's beautiful. I hate cats. No, oh, you Me hate cats. Too. Yeah, I'm not a cat person. Oh wow. I mean, I don't hate them, but I just I don't like them. I, don't I love hate them cats. Either. Me and Steve are cat people. Why don't you have a cat? I uh, apartment living, and I, I worry about if I would be a good cat dad. And <laughs> oh, it's so easy. Yeah, they don't need a lot. Yeah. I've left Toby alone all day today, and I probably won't be home until 2. Toby is, is named after Toby Hooper. Toby Hooper, yes. yes. Toby of, Jones. Of interest. Not Toby Jones. <laughs> Fuck you. All right, so um, lot, lots of cool stuff going on this week. So we all watched Us recently, you know? I saw it twice. Patrick saw it twice. Yeah, Steven we saw it Us. <laughs> I've seen it once. I'm going to see it us again tomorrow. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Very excited. So I guess that tips your hand about uh, whether you would view, Q or screw that one. Well, yeah, obviously I would view it because I'm going to see it again. Well, no, I guess cute. Well, uh, anyway, I would view it. <laughs> you can't see it three times Don't in theaters. This will be cute. number two for me. Oh, okay. Yeah, not three. Oh, okay. Okay. I might want to see it a third. I don't know. If if it lives up to the expectations I have for it a second time through, I will probably watch it the moment it comes out on Blu-ray and then like get out like once every six months afterward until i get tired of it awesome it absolutely lived up to my memory as soon as i walked out of it with you steven i was like i, I gotta see this again i was shaken the whole night oh, I mean, yeah alice and i were talking about this on the drive to plum market earlier like we were both nerding out like reading shit online listening to podcasts oh, yeah. all night oh yeah i came home first thing that happened when i came home i turned the key in my lock when i came home from us and it seemed like the lock was already unlocked. <laughs> and I walked in my house, and I swear to God, I walked around and checked every nook and cranny of my house for a doppelganger. I went in the bathtub. I checked behind the shower curtain in the bathtub. <laughs> I went in the kitchen. I looked out on the balcony. I looked in all the closets. I mean, this is not a riff. I was, like, freaked no, out. No, I have the text to prove it, and you freaked me out. I was, <laughs> I was, so, I've never walked more slowly up the two flights of stairs into my apartment as I did. Normally, I, like, kind yeah. of double step, like, you know, like, like, like I'm climbing, you know, I'm at, like, I'm almost at the top of Mount Everest. I'm like, I'm finally there. <laughs> just like, let's go. I, I tiptoed. Yeah. I was so afraid to walk into my apartment. I was very afraid to look in my bathroom mirror. And then I read think pieces for like 45 minutes. Same. <laughs> and Same. then went to sleep and had a bunch of dreams about us. It was more like three hours for oh, me. <laughs> mine was more like three hours. The people that I went and saw it with just kind of were done with it when the movie was over, which was what? so typical of them. <laughs> I won't name I names, but oh we're basic God. movie watchers. <laughs> we, we saw it at uh, Pet Cemetery today, and 
while I was getting my ticket, these guys got there before I did, and I was kind of in a rush, I did happen to catch a snatch of conversation with the people next to me who were going to see us, and they said it was it was a guy and a girl, and he said, it's because I couldn't get her to see Pet Cemetery. and the girl behind the counter at the theater said, oh, well, I mean, us is us is great, but it's not even scary. You guys will be fine. What a basic bitch. One of the most, uns- I cannot imagine sitting through that movie and not being just completely unsettled, having my nerves shattered afterward. Yes, it is a very funny film. It's It doesn't have a lot of sort of like straight up horror in it. It's it's not gory, but it is very violent. It's extremely it's super gory. But I also, cannot imagine it not fucking you up. It's like one of those rides at, at Cedar Point Amusement Park, if you don't yes. know what Cedar Point is, where it's like, you know, five, maximum thrill. And you look, <laughs> and it's like, maybe it doesn't look that... I mean, yeah, there's a wide range of maximum thrill, but this is a <laughs> yeah. maximum thrill horror movie for me. I mean, it's intense as all fuck. And this, is, it and this is the thing about it, is I went back three days later, and it was almost the same experience for me like when oh, adelaide wait. when adelaide goes down the escalator at the end i was just just chills my body was covered in chills for probably the last you know whatever 20 minutes of that movie and i walked out and again had the same reaction i did the first time where i was like physically just like unstable where i felt like i couldn't walk straight did when you I check out your bathtub movie. when you got home again no actually <laughs> <laughs> appeal is just i mean if you okay so like the the basic conceit without getting into the sort of social or political context of this film is like the scariest thing is yourself you know like like who are you really and that sounds so trite but it is something i've thought about in my own life before you know i've we've all made mistakes and there are versions of ourselves that we wouldn't want to confront again and if we're kind of in that late night dreamy sort of space it'd be creepy to like look in the mirror and see that version of yourself Mm. i can't imagine someone taking that sort of very basic primal fear that we all have and communicating it as effectively as he did in this film like, there are so many movies that use, like, the mirror as a trope or the doppelganger as a trope, and it's just kind of silly. This movie really made me deeply question myself. We we perceived it differently, but it is frightening to me in a different way. N- not in the sense that me, myself, are encountering, like, a duplicate version of me is scary, but more in the sense that, you know, it, it, it causes you to think about the people who you've built you know, whatever modest success you may have made in your life on and empathize with those people more than you normally sure. would. No, that's the, that's the so larger like, It's thing. not like the, 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 the fear and the horror of it is like, holy fuck, like how many people have I essentially fucked over inadvertently to get where I am in life and how, and how close are they to me? How, how relatable and empathetic are they to me? That's the broader context of the theme. That's what you're ultimately supposed to take away from it. But I mean, Peel is, he has said this in multiple interviews that it started with that germ of, you know, like what's the scariest thing? Oh, like a version of myself that I'm not comfortable with. And just that image of looking mm. at yourself and it looks wrong, a simple thing you know that's been done time and time again in horror movies i mean he he does it so well just in when young adelaide discovers her doppelganger and we just see this girl that looks exactly like her in the dark very darkly lit all you can see are the eyes and the teeth and the girl has just just this like slightly demented smile i thought that was just my projection in my my theater (laughs) i think i had dim projection on everything i didn't know it was actually that dark no it is is very deliberately lit um and yeah, I mean, just that image alone, like I get like chills thinking about it. 
Yeah. Yeah, when you put it that way, it, it just it makes more sense, level. and it's closer to the to the way I interpreted it and related to it because it's about uh, yeah, what what happens when you're confronted with the version of yourself where you suddenly see the shit that you've done or the the societal inequalities that you've taken advantage of to get where you are. In that scene, it's like for that little girl, it might be if you look at it, you know, more closely. Like what what would my life look like if I hadn't had an education right. and I was just like locked in a closet yeah. for five years or hadn't yeah. had glasses right like yeah. that moment was super pivotal to me when uh oh Abraham yeah, yeah when yeah. A- Abraham's tether puts his glasses on and for the first time he can oh see my God, I know. and it's so nuanced you know yeah. like it didn't hit me for a couple I minutes after I noticed until- that. it's kind of funny it's like a little bit funny too the way it's staged but it's also like oh my god like what is going it was through a that? little funny what is which going was through the his art, mind right now the craft of it was like yeah. how could it be funny and like so mind-blowingly insightful at the same time and it didn't hit me for a couple minutes where i was like holy shit he has never been able to see well, and he has that tick that's very poignant where even before he gets the glasses, he keeps putting his fingers up to the bridge of his nose and like pushing up glasses that aren't Oh my there. God. I didn't even realize I didn't that. Notice but you're that totally either. right. Yeah. You're totally right. Yeah. It's one of those movies. We need to that, see it again. It's a movie very much like Get Out that is just has so many details and nuances and, and things you're going to miss the first time. You're going to miss them the second time. You might miss them the third time. Um, and that, that's what makes Get Out so fun for me. I just watched Get Out for the third time. Um, which I, I I hate to compare the two movies, but no, let's compare them. I did leave. Great discussion. I did leave. I hate doing that. I, I did like leave. That's so reductive. All I'm gonna say is that Get Out I said was a perfect film. It's a perfect film. Us, I don't think it's a perfect film, but I think it does some things better than Get Out. Um, and I, I love them both, and I can't wait to own Us on Blu-ray, just like I own Get Out on Blu-ray. I love Get Out, but I think <laughs> physical us, media. Hell yeah! <laughs> I love Get Out, but I think Us is a better film on every level. I uh, we've talked about this, Patrick. I feel like the I don't like to compare the two because they're completely different movies. I mean, Get Out has like a very specific, concrete point that it wants to get across. Us has broader national and possibly even global implications so i give it some credit if it stumbles here and there that's a lot of a lot of information needs to be conveyed in that two hours to get that point across and i think it does just fine doing that. i don't even see stumbles in us the the closest thing us gets to a stumble is that final shot i think it could end with the shot of jason pulling the werewolf mask down there's some exposition that i think comes across well because it's artistically shot and framed I still was kind of like taken out of the movie in a couple of it's moments. It's just yeah. not as elegant as Get Out. I disagree. Okay. And I love Get Out. Again, I, I don't really want this to come off as a slight against Get Out because I had a great experience with Get Out in the theater. It didn't hit as well with me the second time. I watched it on Blu-ray and it was, mm, it was still good, but didn't hit me the same way when you know what's coming. Yeah, Us, this conversation Us was just a <laughs> fucking, I mean, like I already said, I mean, just blew me away both times, even yes, when Chris. I knew it was coming. What, what, uh, did you prefer us to get out? You know, I only saw Get Out once, so I think I get out. I definitely <laughs> get out of here. I haven't uh, made the time, admittedly, to see it again, and it's one of those on my list of absolutely need to see it again. And like, I love watching movies two or three or fifty or hundred times. I thought they were both super masterful and like had different messages and conveyed both of them really well. But I think the message behind us was more uh interpretive you know and i think that's sort of the beauty of it like steven was saying this was covering a lot of ground in broad strokes and Mm -hmm. it was like 
folks are going to get what they're going to get out of it. Mm. And for one person, it might be, it might be about race. You know, I thought it was so fascinating and it really resonated with me that it was the first horror movie that I can think of that centered around a black family. And that alone made it stand out, uh, you know, from other horror movies. So that was like such low hanging fruit, but felt so different for me as a horror movie fan. So refreshing. It was refreshing, but ultimately it not being about race, like that was even cooler. You know, the fact that it was centered around a black family, but not really about race was like, that's kind of where we should be in 2019, you know? Um, Where I would say it's like, I mean, this is Peel himself saying this movie's not about race, and the casting is uh, is about representation. But I'm like, okay, well, they're still affluent, but they're like in the shittier summer house, you know, like the way the bed creaks. They've got this like tiny, yeah. you know, like twin XL bed that they're supposed to fuck versus in versus well, their friends. I was, for, yeah. yeah, talking to Patrick about that because if you look at the movie's argument, sort of about class and privilege and that sort of thing, I think it's more powerful that the people who are conveyed in the movie as privileged aren't super rich they're middle class right right and you know they're, they're you and me ostensibly wait are we not considering their friends super rich because i felt like they the were friends super, are super rich, rich. Tim i did too that's Tim, why yeah, i said ostensibly i would definitely rich. say Tim i would say upper middle clearly, class for sure. uh, richer than i'll ever be let's face it he's clearly yeah. abraham's superior at work right he's got more money but you know Abraham can still afford a summer home in. You mean Gabe's? Gabe. Gabe. Abraham what? is the tether. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Gabe. Gabe. Um, Glad you knew that. And it's interesting. Even like the, the the central fame of this movie, like I wouldn't necessarily even say they're affluent. They're like upper middle class, probably. Yeah. And Tim Heidecker is like upper lower, upper upper upper, upper upper lower upper class. But the like, point, <laughs> Patrick and I were talking about this earlier this week. It's important that being middle class or upper middle class is increasingly putting you above more and more people yeah you know and that's the scary thing it is it's absolutely terrifying yeah like like i don't feel like i'm doing all that well sometimes i'm like oh that could be a lot worse (laughs) so that's the kind of that's the message because i'm kind of hyper political in the way my mind works so i was reading all that stuff into it um but like allison was saying it's a movie that's definitely open to many interpretations and i liked what you said about you know it just reflecting the darker aspects of our own personalities i think that's equally valid um another thing peel said is and again you know this is kind of like you know festival circuit talk you know he's got he's got his talking points yeah. but he, he said that he intended this film to be personal like for everyone who sees it to create their own sort of personal interpretation of what the themes are i don't know what that means exactly but it's clear that it worked i don't know what's in the construction of it, the writing of it but like every person i talked to about this movie has a different take on it that focuses really on different masterful everything really? and i know like at this point i've probably talked to like maybe 10 people who've seen it what are Not some of the different ever? takes on it i just i just it's it's, well, it's sort just, of difficult for me to imagine that it's bad. i mean some people think it was, it's about class some people think it's about race i mean some people how is I, it about how do, how do people interpret it being about race class and well, race are so intertwined exactly exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, there's, there's so many, uh, <laughs> there's so many um, dichotomies in the film of like ideas that are so closely related that they're inextricable, which really makes sense when you think about what, like, just even just like the visual iconography of the film with with the rabbits and the scissors and uh, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. It, 
um, it's, it's dealing with a lot of complicated shit closely tied together. So I can see that, but also every single person I talk to points out different details. Never heard anybody else mention the glasses thing, for instance. Mm -hmm. And I've talked about this movie for hours Mm -hmm. since I've seen it. And I remember that, Mm -hmm. but that didn't stick with me. Mm -hmm. Monster Trap was my favorite. (laughs) I mean, it is loaded with nuance and loaded with, uh, setups and payoffs. Like it is there, there's almost no fat on this movie just everything yeah. functions in some way okay. i don't i don't see as much room for interpretation well, in it as you guys okay do. so imagine watching this movie as a person of color and yeah. it's not about race but you're still you're not doing bad you know in life you can afford a beach house you can afford a boat but but you still can't afford what these white folks your superiors can afford right i mean that's inherently you can't ignore that that's a that's a narrative on race whether or not it was intended to be this is this doesn't exist in a vacuum where there aren't race issues in the real world sure, but that's not the overriding theme of the movie like that's it's an, not that, that's, that's, an, that's an interesting point but as an in interpretation movie. if you're a person of color watching this you go like fucking of course that guy is the white guy has more money in a bigger house and a bigger boat of course he does because how could he not but no. it's not about race I but think, that's how you yes, might read it but it, well yeah but again i'm i'm saying but that if you follow the rest of the movie through like yes that's an interesting point that you might uh, emphasize more that might resonate with you more if you are a person of color or, or any other various whatever audience member. But I, I don't see how that carries through as the theme of the film. Is what I'm saying, yeah, well, I don't. Not know everybody's that I agree. a film yeah. critic, and not everyone who sees this film, which is made for a mass audience, mass market, is really focused on the theme. I mean, some people might just be like, "This is a great female empowerment movie." Yeah. Like, Lupita with her fucking fire poker just kicks ass for half the movie. (laughs) And it's the fact is, it's so packed, it's so densely packed with information that I can see somebody just kind of getting lost and being like, seeing that final shot and not connecting the dots. And I think that's fair. Right. I mean, there's a lot of themes, themes as a plural when we're talking about movies. Good movies have multiple themes. Shittier movies have one theme. Netflix movies have no themes. <laughs> well, that's not fair to say, I, I, I Chris. Kid, I kid Netflix. I kid. I mean, the, 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 the main variances that I've identified in how people analyze this movie are just in the uh, severity, I guess, of the class commentary. I think it's a class movie no matter what. I mean, Peel in an interview that I listened to said you know it's about the duality of american society and how much that scares him and then i read a think piece that's like it's about the class uprising and about how like poor people are going to go kill rich people. i don't think it's i think it's a class movie no matter what yes i think yeah, it is in there but there's a lot of other stuff i think it's right. saying like there's there is a way to see this movie and to for that not to sink in and still get something else really vital out of it. Yeah, nobody's saying it's make. not a movie that, that about was class. My experience, it's just but yeah. What do we all think of the line flow. "We're Americans"? What it's is that funny, line? Because I've heard stories of people in theaters were like, "That's a laugh line," and I almost did kind of want to laugh. And I was like, I mean, looking back on it now, that's. But what does it mean to everybody? I don't I don't really know what it meant to me. It kind of did make me laugh, but only because of the state of affairs that we're in. It's like what is it's being like, an American like, right now? What? Like that, this person is like barely verbal and they're saying that like, to, to, right. to me it was associating the 
the craving for upward mobility that everyone in the movie has with the American dream, and mm. that if you're an American, these are this is what you aspire to. Yeah, yeah. It's like we're Americans. We're coming for you. Like you're where we have deserved to be. For, yeah, you know, decades. We're and, colonizing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting line because I've heard that. See, this is where I think there's a lot of room for interpretation on the movie. There are a lot of individual elements that I think there's a lot of room for interpretation on. And that line is a perfect example of it because I've heard people say that line was chilling. Like I just just floored me, you know, and I personally I responded to it like and maybe this is one of the few flaws in the movie to me is that felt a little on the nose to me like like, contrived yeah i don't know if i need that much i love it but it's the conversation that character would say though like i firmly like i could run that conversation through a million really that is what that character would say to me that felt like jordan peele talking she's a radical she's a radical she started a movement that is like spanning the entire country based on a t-shirt like of course i i i I could see that i feel like a second time through that line would and listen honestly if you have Second time through, it felt the same to me. If you have, and yeah. is, I'm excited to see how it plays. If you have a population being kept underground by the government and raised by the government, you think those people aren't saying the Pledge of Allegiance every morning? Whoa. No. Interesting. I like that interpretation. I don't know. I, that means it's, something to me. Yeah. But what else do they know about America? They, right. they see hands across America on a t-shirt. They're indoctrinated. I'm sure they're indoctrinated. Yeah. I can't go to a fucking city council meeting without saying the Pledge of Allegiance. You think <laughs> I, I said could the be Pledge of Allegiance <laughs> since 12th grade. Raised and fed by the government. I don't know if I can do it now. Anyway, well, so we all say go see us if you haven't seen it already. Go see it twice. You'll pull something yeah. fascinating out of it. Yeah, once really isn't enough, probably. I take, pro- take yourself to see it, and then take your shadow self to see <laughs> it. But yeah, Jordan Peele, he's on a roll. That Which brings us to The Twilight Zone, which just came back. Allison hasn't seen the reboot at all. I have nothing to offer here. Nothing to offer. Except but- that I'm very excited to see it. <laughs> maybe, maybe you do, but uh, the rest of the rest of us have watched at least one episode. Of I've two. seen The Comedian with uh, uh, Kumail Nanjiani, and yes. it's... Uh, you didn't whoa. like it. I didn't like it at all, except for the brief moments where Jordan Peele showed up, and they were all too brief. However, I understand this is the first episode. I think it's interesting... And possibly calculated that they chose the comedian as the first episode of the Twilight Zone. Jordan Peele is trying to establish himself as a horror sci-fi oh. dude now, and this episode is all about the merits of comedy and stand-up yeah. comedy. I feel like he didn't write it; he just produced it. What does that mean? I mean, he might just be collecting a paycheck. That's and actually interesting to Rod because Jordan but, Peele is ostensibly the new Rod Serling, but the show, at least so far, is certainly not as much of a auteur effort as Rod Serling's The Twilight. Right, Zone. Rod Serling wrote a, how many episodes of The Twilight Zone? A shitload, and of it was his so brainchild. Yeah. Is the comedian the one that's not a play-by-play of a Rod Serling? neither of them are it's a it's a new script the second episode which i these guys can speak to more than i can because they've seen it but i know that it's i mean it's based on nightmare at twenty thousand feet by richard matheson it's vaguely i mean it's 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 based on it 
Yeah, it's inspired. Yeah, I mean, there's there, paranoia there, on a plane. Par- exactly. That's okay. that's yeah. a, that's about as far. It involves as it a gets. podcast. That's all I know. Otherwise, <laughs> not this podcast. Have a lot <laughs> but no, that <laughs> one was actually oddly disappointing to me. Um, yes. So neither of the two episodes available so far have knocked my socks off, but. I am very interested and optimistic, and I look forward to watching more Twilight Zone. I think they're imperfect, but I think that they're only imperfect as far as the original series was imperfect. Yes. I mean, people dwell on the Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone had some greatest hits, but most of the Twilight Zone was pretty simple concepts in plots that, like, mostly worked. And and, and uh, I yeah, would but- add to that in plots that often dragged on longer than they needed to, which both of these episodes do. The comedian yeah. oh, well, more than Nightmare four. at 30,000 feet. No, season- I'm not talking about season four. I'm talking about like greatest hits Twilight Zone. I will admit, I haven't watched a ton. I've only watched like a few episodes and among them, like supposedly some of the greatest ones, which I did enjoy, but most of them dragged out the concept for too long. I think the easiest criticism you can apply to the new season, particularly the comedian, is that it's too long. It's 55 minutes. You could cut probably 10, 15, maybe more minutes out oh, of it. Oh, I would say you could cut 25 minutes out of it. I think that's... Yeah. It's like, it should be 30 minutes. Fine. Like, But I think you could cut 10 minutes out of, like, Eye of the Beholder or... Yeah. A lot of classic Twilight. A lot of classic Twilight. The, the Twilight, Twilight perfect, but however, like, different times... People responded like this was a revolutionary show. I feel like if we're going to wait this long to reboot the Twilight Zone for the fourth time, fifth time, like with Jordan Peele involved, I just expected more. I'm like, okay, whatever. The original show had flaws. It was in the fucking 60s. Like, get your shit together. You're doing 12 episodes. How hard is it to write 12 episodes? <laughs> well, that's interesting. Time, times have and we've changed. learned so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really, yeah. Uh, times have changed. And one of my regrets about this new Twilight Zone is that it's only available online on this CBS All Access, which no one wants to subscribe to. I, we got a free trial and we were, we were looking, we watched it on the free trial. But like looking around on the what else you can get with your free trial of CBS All Access, like. Who the fuck wants to watch it's season everything. one of Survivor? If you're, if you're into Star like, Trek Discovery, dude, what? every like CBS show, every like, CBS show. If you pull show. up the shows, like every show you could imagine. Yeah, but like, what are some good Big CBS Bang shows? Theory season one yeah, through exactly. seventeen thousand? Oh yeah, because I want to watch Big Bang Theory. Fuck also, yeah. I should clarify Young for the Sheldon, listeners: I'm old being Sheldon, sarcastic. Middle age Sheldon, Big Bang Theory. <laughs> fuck you, regular Sheldon. Fuck Sheldon. <laughs> fuck all ages of Future Sheldon, Sheldon and past fuck Sheldon. Bing Bang Theory. <laughs> Bing Bang Theory. Two and a half. Fuck The Bing Crosby Theory. <laughs> what are you guys talking about? That that sick guy. Yeah. Let's move on. So whatever. But anyway, I think I would wish that this were on network TV. They would have to clean up the language. Um, but this is like the kind of show that, like, I think would. Be, you didn't like all those darn f bombs. I think it would be good for this show to be on network TV now because I think it's a lot better made and smarter and well put together than a lot of shit that's and on network would, TV. And it would be forced into a fucking time constraint. Yes. Instead of this, oh, let's make it 55. The comedian didn't need to be 55 fucking no. minutes. As as is the case with so many shows these days. Cut it now. Take like fucking 20 minutes out of it. You'll lose nothing. But it, all right, old man Patrick. But it all is. I'm with listen, you. you're the one who said even more time should be cut out of the comedian than I me. I like the so. idea of a flexible runtime. If the story serves it, I yes. like that we now have that option. However, it's very sure. rarely used for good. But the no, thing Black is, Mirror is a great example of that. I think for the most part, yeah. There were some episodes of San Junipero. I could have had a half hour more of that. Yeah, or mm. I mean, it was just the perfect amount. It was yes. just long enough. Well, the know? time slot makes everyone check and see if things can be cut out, which I think maybe some of these episodes are suffering from. 
Yeah. I don't know. But it, it looks great. I love how it looks. It's shot in Vancouver, and you can tell. X-Files territory. I love it. Um, it's good. They... I don't. It's all shot in Vancouver. Yeah, I don't quite know how I feel about their like aesthetic gimmick of shooting everything like close up with really wide lenses, so it looks like reality's off kilter. Yeah. But it's something Rod Serling might have done if they had if they had, could do that in the sixties. They had <laughs> lenses just back then, looked like black, like a Black Mirror ripoff sort of. I feel oh, like I haven't watched Black Mirror. Too. Oh um, yeah, it, it just it didn't feel like it really had its own sort of character uh, or flavor. Um, but everything I've seen convinces me that the, at least the people who are making it understand the Twilight Zone. And I like that. Well, it's a whole hodgepodge of like writers and directors yeah. who've worked on like tons of different yeah. shit. Okay, one thing we can agree on, and then we can move on, Jordan Peele is the best part of, this, oh, he's of the new show. Yeah, he's great. Every time he shows he's up, great, but he's in it for like great. a total of two minutes. Well, yeah, but yeah, that's, that's why. Uh, actually, I would take fifty-five minutes of just Jordan Peele doing Twilight Zone. Just him telling us a story. Yeah, but <laughs> and saying the Twilight Zone every like forty-five seconds. His monologues aren't, and this is unfortunate because I do feel like he's such a such a captivating presence. His monologues aren't really nearly as like creative as Rod Serling's were. It just no. it really feels like he probably shot them all in like an hour. Yeah. And that's his only involvement with the series. Yeah, you may he's like, I'll no. slap my name on it. No. I mean he has I don't think he's written any episodes or we'll directed see. any. He's he has story credits for sure. He has a story credit on Nightmare on th- uh Nightmare at thirty thousand feet. And I mean obviously he was on different sets to shoot these monologues. So I mean I think that's a gross <laughs> exaggeration they still you're making. Done it one day. I don't know. But yeah the monologues don't Yet have as much bite as some of Rod Serling's uh, great ones. Not even but. bite. I just Rod Serling. Um, I don't know. I liked him getting up on his pulpit and just sort of yeah. talking about the human condition <laughs> for like two minutes. Yeah, yeah. we just yeah. we just all want Rod Serling to come back, but you can't bring people back from the dead. <laughs> or can you? Oh wow! That's, <laughs> yeah. Which brings us they to they don't come back the same. The movie we just watched all together as a family at the movie theater. Pet Cemetery. It's a great family-friendly film. <laughs> great family movie. Take your kids, your dog, your cat. Your it's really Definitely a movie about family. And so, Steve, you saw the original movie, the 89 movie. It's been a really long time. Though A couple of weeks ago, I did like watch like half of it again, just to see. And it f- just felt like a made-for-TV uh, movie. That's I was really captivated with it. I did, have not seen that movie, but I did read the book. Patrick, I thought you it actually was a TV. No, no, it did come out theatrically. You had okay. not read the book or seen no. the movie. No, no. Allison, had you read the book or seen the previous movie? I read the book when I was a teenager, and I saw the previous movie a long, long time ago. But okay. It's been completely wiped from my memory by other more important things. And then I reread <laughs> obviously. Well, Pet Cemetery is, if you don't know, it's the timeless tale of the family that moves into a new house in rural Maine, right between a busy trucking route and a pet cemetery location 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 i have yeah. to say something you guys as <laughs> yeah. a newly uh as a newly licensed realtor yeah it begged the fucking question why if you have 50 acres is your house situated on a fucking major thoroughfare if it's been <laughs> such a fucking problem that we have a whole cemetery designated for pets that were killed on this said thoroughfare mm. maybe we just don't build there and we go back a, so even a couple if you, if, if, you had a, if you had a you're uh, gonna have to plow some snow but just you, 
let's get out the map. But there'll be more room for the kids to play hide and seek. Oh, Jesus So if there's a house on 50 acres, but at least half of those acres are occupied by a pet cemetery and... Uh, Indian burial ground, haunted Indian bur- burial ground that the Wendigo has staked a claim to. Is that something that should be in the seller's disclosures? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say so. Do, yeah. do the creeds have any sort of legal recourse to what happened? You know, seller's disclosures are funny, especially when it comes to death. I don't know. <laughs> what you, you, only, you only have to disclose something if it's a clear and present danger to the the current occupants. So oh. if you if your house was a prior uh, meth lab and there are toxic chemicals that might be in the wood or in the air, then you have to disclose that. But, but if someone the, was murdered, the, the Wendigo, we don't know. Probably not. To be honest, no, I don't think you'd have to disclose that. I have a movie about a real estate agent in a haunted house that I'm trying to write. So I, I, I'll, I'll <laughs> let me know if you need some notes. I, I, I might have some questions about escrow. Okay. So if I'm buying a house that has a lot of property, are you going to walk me around the perimeter or at least give me like a map of what's included in the lot of land that I'm purchasing? Absolutely. But it may not be a historical map that shows the Indian burial ground. However, I think if you walked far enough back on this property that includes fucking mountains, apparently, you'd see that there's a <laughs> stone staircase leading to a summit with a bunch of graves on it. Yeah. It's absurd. If you're buying 50 acres and a home on 50 acres, I mean, at least you'd want to see what points of interest were there. I don't think that a, a pet cemetery would just happen upon your <laughs> your knowledge. Oh, does this thing happen to include the pet right. cemetery? Well, it's well like yes. Right okay. on the periphery of their like, immediate yeah. yard, too. It's just like you just kind of But are like... we getting into the pitfalls of the movie? Or uh, we, just... Yeah. <laughs> no. no. Okay. So, wait, so maybe hold on my second. least Hold favorite. the phone. Patrick, as someone who had not been exposed to Pet Cemetery before tonight. What did you think of the movie? Well, let me just comment on what Steven was just saying instead of your broader prompt. Maybe my least favorite thing about the movie was this fucking CGI background when they like you know, they're in the Pet Cemetery, which looks like a real set. It looks like yeah. a real forest or whatever. And then they climb the um, what do they call the the wall? The break? Uh, dead wood and, wall I don't barrier. know, whatever. They climb the wall. The barrier. And yeah. you get beyond that, and all, and all of a sudden, they're just in, like, CGI heaven. Right, it's like, and it looks it's like shit. Game and of you Thrones. can do that so easily. Like, just find a fucking, like, that didn't, location. I didn't even notice that. It, I noticed it, it was like CGI. Shit. It didn't bother me as much as the CGI when the when the the daughter was hit by the car, or the truck. I'm going to say something that's uh, not going to be popular. And let me preface this by saying that I'm a mother, of a 10-year-old girl named Ella. A delightful 10-year-old girl a named Ella. A delightful 10-year-old girl. The the victim that we're talking about was a 9-year-old girl named Ellie. So it felt very apropos and very uncomfortable uh, from a parental standpoint, which I tried really hard to separate myself from as I'm watching a fictional movie and I want to appreciate it for what it is. But I'm going to say something that's going to sound really fucked up. I don't think if if... If she were truly hit by this oil tank that was traveling at like 50 miles per hour. She'd be in one piece. She'd be in one piece. And I wasn't prepared to see her in more than, in less than one piece. But she looked really good. You know, when they opened the coffin later, I was like, come on, man. Like, uh, I mean, that's a a monster. I don't know what to tell you. No, that's just Hollywood standards, though. I mean, they were not afraid to show the other guy who got hit by the car, like, spurting blood out his brain. Like, it's just because Hollywood still, you know, they're not going to show you a, a. a dead kid. No, split open. absolutely. And I think that the guy whose head was split open was sort of a like 
a substitution for what we're not going to show you later. Sure. Right? Okay, so... Fair enough. As... In the book, I mean, the staples they show you in the back of her head later are certainly chilling. Yeah, yeah. They did Where do those come from? They did a little from did the, the autopsy? Autopsy? from the Undertaker. The autopsy, maybe? Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, the Undertaker. Yeah, it's from the injuries that she presumably sustained that they won't show you because it's Hollywood and they are not going to show you a fucked up, you know, kid, wounded kid, even in an R-rated movie. Now, in the book, um, they did a little switcheroo for this movie, which you'll still know because the trailer spoils everything about this movie, but they did a little switcheroo yes. where it's the daughter who gets killed by the truck versus the, the son, son Gage. The, the son Gage, the toddler, gets killed in the, in the book. It also doesn't matter because it, it just turns the son into a MacGuffin. Right. It, he's, a, he's there as a fake out. Yeah. Because people who have seen the other movie or, or read, read the, the book, book are right. going to expect the son to die. But even the trailer um, spoils that. Is the, the original is the original movie closer to the book? Yes. Okay. So from what I've read on Wikipedia, so in, but in <laughs> the book, which is, is all that matters. Yeah. When he goes to ex- he exhumes his son's grave, but it's like weeks later, and it's, the kid is like you know bloated and like decomposing, yeah. and he like pulls him out and stuff, and it's like a really fucked up scene. You're like, are they going there? Are they going here? Is this really happening? And then so it's much more tame in this movie, even though the movie s- seems like it wants to be edgy in other places. Did you notice that the toddler who plays Gage in the movie that we saw tonight? does pretty closely resemble the kid that played Gage in the original movie. I haven't seen the original movie. Oh, okay. So that was one thing that I remembered. I don't remember a lot of the details of the original movie, but I remember the kid that played Gage was kind of one of those child star horror kids, hmm. you know? And I and I wish I could think of another movie that he was in, but he has a familiar face. If I were to show you all a Google image of him right now, you'd be like, oh, that kid. But the kid in the movie tonight did closely resemble him, which hmm. I thought was, you know, noteworthy. If nothing else. I did notice that that kid gave, and I mean, it's hard to say that a kid that age gave a good performance, but like, I was, I was surprised by the degree to which he, he was seemed compliant. to emote and like yeah. deliver lines in a few scenes. I thought the girl was terrible until she came what? back from the dead. <gasps> oh, she, she was, was adorable. She was Unpopular great. opinion. That, both before and after. She was like adorable was... and I was like, oh, it's a kid saying cute things. But like when she came back from the dead, she was actually like sinister and gave a performance. So I that feel like is otherwise actually... she was just sort of like... No, she seemed like a real child. No, she yeah, seemed like a well, real child. I have one of those, and she's not that compliant. Let me tell you. <laughs> I was looking at a kid like, if I only had that, I would put her in a oh bubble surrounded by pillows. I'm sure. I'm perfect. sure if you could like make Ella's day by giving her like this shitty stuffed animal, <laughs> that would just make your year. She actually really, really would love that stuffed animal. Oh, really? But Chris, you had something to say. The scenes with undead Ellie were good, and those yeah. are the kind of scenes you can't have in the book or in the movie that is based on the book with the toddler because the toddler is just not that verbal right Um, yeah and actually maybe that's why they chose to do that maybe that's why they chose to do it but then it kind of turns into a creepy kid movie and there's not really any layers to it under that and 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 that no let's give it up let's give fucking props and credit where credit's due to these kid actors and all of these movies that we've talked about us and Pet Cemetery. These kid actors were killing. Yeah. Mm, killing yeah. for the literally. job ahead of them. I mean, literally <laughs> and oh, the, figuratively. The kids in us were amazing. So much Phenomenal. Better, but I think that just I comes from better, like yeah. better direction. They were also in, older. Like, they, were, established. they also had like five years on the kids in this yeah. movie. Not Jason. I, I don't think so. Mm, Jason was like eight. 
Okay. Jason 10. was younger than Ellie in this movie. But I think Oz was a better developed film than Pet Cemetery. I think well, the writing was better. Yeah. I think the directing was better. I so think like, the, the kids probably were just spent more time together. together. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Certainly. Anyhow. I mean, that's apples orange. Well, here's what I'll say about Pet Cemetery, the movie 2019. Um, if it's your first exposure, you should read the book. Yeah. Maybe I'm biased because I've read the book. Um, you should read the book if you don't want to read the book and this is your first exposure to Pet Cemetery, and you haven't watched the trailer that spoils fucking everything. Yeah, god damn it. Get yourself to so the much. theater and watch this movie. And I mean, it is a good trailer in the sense that it's like the movie in two minutes. Ugh. Well, it's a trend. It's an effective I mean, trailer. I hate this trend movies of these trailers. Trailer. Really. It's the, you see, watch a, spoil, a trailer, it's going to spoil everything. That's I was not like, how it should be. That's wrong. I was all on board with the marketing for the new Avengers movie because the first two trailers spoiled like nothing they were very vague and then all of a sudden tickets went on sale they put out a one minute trailer that just has all these moments in it that i don't want to fucking see and i regret watching yeah. it yeah actually we've we've said too much because i mean just by listening to this you know that the girl's gonna get hit by the we're truck in the spoiler room. But- i definitely agree with you read the book I, I would say always read the book. You know, there were a couple times only a couple of times in my life that i've read the book and it hasn't been as good as, as the movie and that's so not common, mm-hmm. but read the book. Absolutely. Okay. It's been a long time since this has happened, but I have two things to say about this. Best effects in the movie, the cat, the fucking cat when it comes back is creepy as fuck. It's a weird looking cat and also is made up like kind of just looks matted and gross and it's great. It's a practical effect. It looks great. Yeah. The cat is totally catting in my opinion. Cat, wait, what do you mean? It's just catting. Like that's what I know of cats. (laughs) But it's way weirder. It's way weirder than the cat before. I love the cat. Fair enough. There's some like weird like cat ADR to make it's like growls like a a lion. They had to bring the cat in the the booth. It is very effective. (laughs) Every time that cat showed up, I was like, like, was oh, it Tonic or God. JD that did the voice? What do you think? Yeah, I, there were. <laughs> There's four, one cat that just did that voice. There were four, four, cats, cats, credited. four cats credited as church, and I want to own all of them. Is that yeah. what you I guys were too. talking about when yeah. the movie ended? Yeah. It's like, what are you all rambling on about? Four of these, two of these. Cute Maine Coon. I want so none fun. of them. Anyway, what's your other thing to say? Well, and, and also, well, this is still part of thing one. Okay. Um, also loved Ellie. Just like the the makeup when she came back her was eyes. so disturbing. Like when she's laying oh, in bed blue. and kind oh, of like rolling her, yeah, rolling her eyes back. Mm. It's just, uh, it's so creepy. Yeah. Okay. My second thing to say is, you know what? I mean, this is such an, a weird thing to say, but I wish he had fucking killed her with the shovel at the end. I know. Because it would have, it would have kind of com- completed the thematic circle. Yeah. And instead, we wind up with this weird, like, okay, Zombie zombies are coming for the toddler in the car. It just well, felt right. very Fucking stupid. Dull and, and what's like, the trajectory oh, we got of you, this? Sucker kind right. Of what's ending. the trajectory of this? What are we implying by the right. now yeah. three zombies Nothing. that have efficiently Nothing. made the the undead, you know, the living undead? What, the what family that slays together stays together. We wow. set up some interesting themes with the fact that you know the wife wants to believe in an afterlife the husband is a doctor and is very scientific and there's all these interesting themes that come up about death and how we deal with it and there's this question that comes up is ellie actually ellie or is she just some like spirit does she just represent the the dad's desire to have done something differently in that situation and we're we're just kind of robbed of all that by yeah. a violent just kind of shocker ending the and ending there's not is, a- there there are plenty of opportunities to like i'm sure the filmmakers like while they're making it like 
had all these themes in their mind and like didn't realize that they actually had to express them on the screen what we get is just a series of bland tropes it's all there it's all in the source material the book has good things to say about grief and the grieving process the movie goes halfway there and setting it up especially you have the father who is seemingly pragmatic and he thinks that he's like you know what you can't hide death from her forever honey but then it turns out that he's more incapable than anybody of actually processing grief and death in a constructive right. way and that's all good and then yeah they just basically cop out at the end and they're like ha, zombie family yeah zombie movie very <laughs> frustrating especially because right. the ending of the book which i told you guys i won't spoil it on the cast is chilling and just really str- hits that theme harder and I mean, I enjoyed most of this movie. I was annoyed by how much I felt like I already knew it was happening because of the trailer. But otherwise, I mostly enjoyed it. I didn't think it had a great visual or directorial voice, but I thought I really enjoyed the cast. I thought the performances were great. And I thought the narrative was strong. The themes that it, were setting, that it was setting up were strong. And then it just kind of shit the bed in the last few minutes i just love the husband and wife actors i'm not gonna lie to you like the wife i just felt really like i just can't tell if i like you or not yeah i felt the same way we have a lot to do did we need that whole subplot about her sister too well that was contrived that was never in the book book. so not in the book in the book very ancillary in the book it's there as part of exposition but I think what happened is the original movie really dramatized that story from the book and it became kind of iconic because of the first movie's interpretation of it. So I think they felt an obligation to bring her back in an overt way. It was a little bit of filler. It was a little bit of filler. It's making horrifying like a, a physically deformed person. That I was, mean, yeah, that was and, weird. And that was problematic in the original. Like that, that is like as a kid, one of the scariest images to me was Zelda in the original Pet Cemetery. Yeah. That was like one of those things that like people would like pull out, you know, at, like sleepovers. Like you gotta see this scene, see this fucked up woman. Like I remember that as a kid without having seen the whole movie. And they like, should have left now, it at that. Yeah, exactly. They don't come back the same. Because <laughs> the question is whether you, the viewer, are supposed to feel horror just at the sight of that deformed person or whether you're supposed to understand that you're processing that through the eyes of the girl, the wife, whatever, and just her misperception of her sister. Right. I I think those two roles could have been cast differently and it would have made a a whole world of difference. Truly. I think it's the screenplay. The husband and wife. Really? I, I, I didn't like, love all their them. moments together are just like bland Hallmark I did movie not love moments. Them. There's yeah. not there's like rarely any dialogue that makes me think like, oh, I've like I really understand this family dynamic and I'm really like I want to spend more time with these people. And it's all just like obligatory. There's so many shit. good actors, you know? Like why them? I totally disagree with that. I, I understand is so Amy Simons didn't register with me as much, but I thought Jason Clark was great. I really enjoyed him. Yeah, he was yeah. stuck to his accent. It's probably impossible because they've spoiled the whole movie in the trailer but i would love to watch this movie with people who don't know the story and don't know that kid's gonna get hit by a truck Mm. because i think all that shit and him exhuming the kid and reburying the kid and the kid coming back is really pretty good dramatic shit that would probably blow the minds of people who didn't know it was coming hold on hold on do you mean to say and i know they exist but i mean there are a lot of people in this world who are so dumb that they would not <laughs> register the first three truck jump scares in this movie and realize that a kid is going to get hit. 
Like that just blows my mind. They telegraph that so early in this movie. They do, but I don't. Yeah, I think that some people would not realize that the kid was going to get hit. Yeah, and which truck. kid's going to get hit? I didn't know. Pet, when know? I read the book, they well, make I'm even sure that's a, from the book, right? I mean, yeah. I'm sure yeah. King oh, yeah. like vividly describes the trucks. The trucks are like. Time. I feel well, like, he's obsessed with trucks. I feel like I know King the name. King is obsessed with just detail on everything. Yeah, I, but especially trucks. I mean, yeah. he has like ten stories about trucks coming to life. <laughs> I feel like I know the name of the foreman at the Stone Quarry that the trucks are coming from. Like, <laughs> like, they really talk about those damn trucks. And then Church dies, and you're just like, oh, those damn trucks. And you don't expect the kid to die next. <laughs> King the needs to write they, a book called Those Damn Trucks. They, they name the trucks. Uh, Judd, Judd gives the name of the, yeah, the, company, the company that he's driving by, too. Yeah. I'm just like, who or fucking cares? Well, yeah. Pet Cemetery, go see it or don't. It's up to you. Don't. Read the book. The only thing left to do is to figure out what we're watching next week. So we got to bring out the old Wheel of Death because it's about that time again. We get to pick something that we want to watch. Instead. Oh, you're not Just watching going, the next one in alphabetical order? Nope. We are spinning oh. the I goddamn mean, we wheel. We could if somebody's really... Who won last time? Yeah. Who won, who won the wheel last time? Patrick? I don't know. Yeah, I think yeah, Jason X. I think was our last pick. Was that yeah? Yeah. So yeah, you get to right. do the honors of spinning the wheel this time. Okay. Just what give her I... a spin. All right, it's going. <gasps> oh, my, oh fucking my fucking god! god I have never won. Again. I have never won, and that came at time I came so close, god, and it's Patrick, Patrick again. again. I think it's. I'm gonna rebuild it's not a the fair wheel. wheel. I don't think it's a fair wheel. The, wheel. Right. the odds of me losing the wheel of death as often, not to have a tantrum, but the <laughs> the odds of me losing the wheel spin that many times is like getting struck by lightning twice. It's insane. Patrick, where are we watching next week? All right, so I have two things to say about this. You have one pick. I have two things to say about this, though. One, my picks, the two that I was trying to choose between were Freddy vs. Jason and Van Helsing. But here's my second thing to say about this. I am deferring this responsibility to Chris because he's wanted to win the Wheel of Death so many times. Oh, so, but he has to and everyone, too? And everyone was, no, no, no. Well, oh, um, if he wants to. No, no, he can just pick whatever he wants. <laughs> he, he, I really want to watch Van Helsing, though. God damn it. It sounds like a piece of he's shit. So I'm so merciful. I saw it in theaters. He's it is so and you're going to have to wait a whole seven and a half years until it comes up alphabetically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's so merciful. Oh, Chris, what's your pick? Right. You were, I mean, Chris has been like avidly browsing Netflix through like the last 20 <laughs> minutes of recording while we were talking shit about Pet Cemetery. He's just like, what's my pick going to be? What is it, Chris? All right. Well, I'm glad that your picks landed like one of the jokes in the comedian in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> but, uh, okay. Anyway. That's an awfully shitty thing to say for someone who just got mercifully handed the wheel <laughs> no, of death pick this I week. am you are incredibly merciful I'm incredibly humble that you would defer I'm gonna tell to a me. bunch of jokes about you and hope that you disappear now I hope you do too and I hope I do um, <laughs> break right, it up guys you guys might not like my pick any better though cause next time we're watching 47 meters down oh, oh I love yeah. shark movies I will be Wait, is back is this the you wanna come back yes no that's that's 12 feet deep oh god damn you sorry i wish i was watching this Van Helsing. is a shark movie i'm regretting my decision already 47 years down is mandy moore on a cage dive that goes horribly wrong wow i feel like you picked something even shittier than e- either of my oh, two I've, no I've i would seen so it. much rather see this i've than either seen it and it's so good in fact oh, you know no, you've I, seen it i saw oh, yeah. i also saw freddie versus jason in theaters have you seen 47 meters down no 
No, but I'm just saying, like, and you're both, expecting it to be better than Freddy your, versus Jason both or Van of your Helsing. Picks I saw in theaters, and they were, even at like what, 15 <laughs> years old, however, they were fucking shitty. I've heard good things about this. <laughs> right. it's, yeah. I'm oh. a shark movie lover. All right, it's, it's maybe Wait, my this is second not, favorite. What's the, uh, what's the Blake Lively shark movie? We're not thinking of that one, are we? Mm, no. Shallows. Uh, oh, for, that, yeah, that's the shallows. In the shallows. 47 meters down shallows. is Mandy Moore. <laughs> yeah. No. This is a good movie. You guys are in for a treat. All right. In the well, I can't wait. Well, I hope you can come back. Yeah, maybe I mean, you can come back and we can talk sharks, If Allison. you want me back, I'll be back, you okay. guys. Jump in the shark tank in with us. In the shallows. <laughs> Don't jump the shark. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, <laughs> we jumped the shark with episode 000. We're far from the shallows now. Well, I guess that's it. So we'll see you next time. We'll be talking sharks. We'll be talking 47 meter diving. We're going to be having a great time. Until then, for every horror movie on Netflix, I'm Chris. I'm on the deep end. <laughs> I'm Steven. I'm Allison, who's here sometimes. With All right. I, but... Yep. Special, very special guest. <laughs> All right. See you guys later. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.